Thank you, Bill. Well, if my past experience, as well as my suspicions that I have, hold true, that when we raise the topic that we're going to talk about for the next three weeks, your immediate reaction is going to be a feeling of guilt. Because what we're going to talk about is prayer. And I think most of the time, when we are confronted with the issue of prayer, like, do we pray the way we should pray? Do we pray enough? You know, are we praying? The vast majority of us, our first reaction is no. And we feel a sense of guilt, right? In fact, we, we are, some of our reaction is that we, we actually feel a bit intimidated, right? What, what rings in our ears is this word from, from the Apostle Paul, you know, you need to pray always. And we're thinking, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to pray all the time. And so we feel the sense of guilt, the sense of intimidation. And so I think if I asked you right now, you know, just to kind of lower your head and say, all right, if you think you need to pray more, raise your hands. I think the vast majority of us would raise our hands, right? And, and so we're, we're going to be taking a look these next few weeks at the issue of prayer. And what we want to do is go to the model of prayer, the person who modeled a life of prayer, the best for us. And that's Jesus, right? I mean, I think the only person probably in, in all of God's activity who has ever really kept that sense of a command from God to pray at all times, it was the person of Jesus Christ, right? You know, Jesus is the, is the answer for us. So what we want to do these next three weeks as we look at this issue of prayer is we want to take a look at it and say, how is it that I can come to talk to God like Jesus? That's a pretty big goal to have, but I think we can make some real strides towards it. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is always praying. You know, he's up early in the morning and he's praying. He's praying at night. Sometimes he's praying all night, right? We see Jesus praying by himself. We see Jesus praying with other people. We see him, Jesus praying with the, the masses, the, the public group, right? And... Um, we, you know, we see Jesus, you know, he's, he's praying, you know, before he offers a meal to people. We see Jesus praying in the upper room with his disciples. We see Jesus praying, you know, um, in, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane as he struggles with God's will. We see Jesus praying when he's hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. We see Jesus praying when he's doing miracles or when he's just kind of hanging out. We, 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 Jesus is praying all the time and he is the model for us of what it really looks like for you and I to talk to God. And that's why we want to try to take this journey of learning to talk to God like Jesus. And here's what I want to start with. You know, um, what we would normally do is we would jump into this, this issue of, well, how do you pray? I mean, usually the first thing that we get is we get into the what's, the when's, the how's, that kind of stuff, right? You know, we, we get into the practical kind of things. And I think that's what it leaves out for us. And, 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 and I want to be very confessional here. You know, um, if, if there's an element of my spiritual journey that really needs improvement, it's the area of prayer. You know, a lot of times I think people think of pastors, they're great prayer warriors or whatever. Being, being a, an instinctive, natural 
prayer, somebody who's drawn to prayer, has always been an area that I've really struggled with. And so this process of working out this series for us has, has really been something that's been really quite convicting and quite enlightening for me. Because what we often want to do, again, is we say, all right, let's go buy the journal, right? So we can list all of our prayer requests, put the dates when we had asked them, and here's the, how many days we asked, and this is when we got the answer. And then, you know, we want to get all this fancy stuff. We want to know the, when should I pray? And, you know, what should I pray about? And we got the, the acronyms, you know, the P-R-A-Y, you know, praise and, you know, in relationships and another and yourself and this kind of thing. And we, we, we have all these kinds of different things. We, we get into, and, and sometimes what happens is a week later, two weeks later, we're not praying anymore. And, and I think there's a, a, there's a step before that that we need to look at. And, we're, and here's where I want to start. So, have you ever really asked yourself the question, why did Jesus pray? I mean, right? Jesus is God. You think, you know, does God pray? So w- w- why did Jesus pray? And, and I think and, and, you know, there isn't a chapter and verse that you can go to and say, in, in, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus taught, here are the reasons why I pray, right? But, but when you look at the Scriptures, I think there's some things that you can pull out for us. And I want to tap into the last one as the launch pad for our series today. I think one of the reasons why Jesus prayed is he did so as an example to us, right? He did it to model a life of prayer for us. That one of the reasons why Jesus, who is fully God, prays is that he is setting an example for us to follow in the way that we live out our own lives, that you and I would be people of prayer. And I would associate that very much with the same reason as to why he was baptized by John the Baptist. He, he modeled this confession of our faith through his act of baptism, not because he needed to be baptized, but he did it as an example for us. So that's one element. The second, and it's, is even though Jesus was fully God, when he was incarnate, in other words, when he was the man Jesus, he was also fully man. And it's out of that humanity, mixed with his divinity, he had this, this need, this desire, this, this to, to pray. And, and so he prays. You know, he is one of us. He goes through the same journey. He's tempted in all ways like us. And, and so, so he is looking for the answers and the strength and the guidance and the direction and all those kinds of things. And, and with that, he's a person of prayer, right? But here's the last one. And this is the one I want to focus on today. Is that Jesus prayed because he loved talking to God. Jesus prayed just because he wanted to pray, right? I mean, think about it for just a minute. For If you look at the period of time where he is incarnate here on our planet, between the time of his birth and the time of his, his resurrection and then his ascension, that, that, before that and after that, the Trinity had been totally one. There was absolutely perfect communication. For as far back as you can go and as far forward as you can go, there's been this this perfect communication. And when Jesus is here as fully God, but also fully man, he missed that communication. And he just wanted to talk to God. It was his passion. You know, there's there's a passage of Scripture, you know, an event that takes place in the life of Jesus 
when he's a young boy in Luke um, it comes out in Luke chapter two, you know that when Jesus was 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 um, a young boy, his parents had brought him to the temple at one of the times of festival, and so they had probably traveled down in a group a, a, a group of pilgrims that was coming up by the Sea of Galilee. They made their way down the sixty to eighty miles or so to the city of Jerusalem, and they had engaged in worship, and the time came for them to go back home. And so the, the, that caravan of pilgrims gets ready to leave, and Mary and Joseph assume that Jesus is with Billy and Bob, you know, jo- Joey and Bobby and Jimmy, whatever, they're all hanging out together, and he's just traveling with them. So they get on their journey, headed home, and they get to camp the first night, and they stop, and they're looking around, and there's no Jesus. And Mary and, and, and Joseph are just in panic, you know, like, where's Jesus? And they rush their way back, and they, Scripture tells us they look for him for three days. You know, what would we do today? We just put out an amber alert, right? You know, they just flash it on all the highways and be coming in on your cell phone. And they'd be like, you know, missing kid. You know, for three days they look for Jesus. Finally, they find him, and he's in the temple. <laughs> and, and, and he says to his parents, to Mary and Joseph, said, you know, didn't you just know that I had? Listen, I had to be in my, he, in my father's house. He just had this passion to be connected to Jesus, right? to, to God, right? And so he, he just needed to be, he loved, he was passionate, but he desired. It was something that he really loved to do was simply to talk to God. You know, and some of, this is the time of year where, Kids are going off to the school for the very first time, right? You know, and, and uh, you know, I have a, a great niece and a great nephew who are both, this is their first year to go to kindergarten, right? And so, you know, I'm talking to my great nephew and, and, and I say, well, you know, wh- what's, the, what's the name of the school you go to? And he tells me, kindergarten. And, and I said, well, no, that's the grade you're in. What school do you go to? He says, I don't know. I go to kindergarten, you know. And then I said, "Well, well, what's your favorite? What was your favorite part of school?" He'd been to school three days when we saw him. I said, "What was your favorite part of school? Was it recess?" And he said, "No." He said it was going outside to play. So you know, and and but you know, but some of you remember those moments when either you as a kid or your kids went off to school for the very first time, and when they came home, they're, they're just talking up a storm, right? They want to talk to you about everything that they did. <gasps> we did this one. You know, one of them was, was really amazed that they actually got to go back the next day, you know? <laughs> like, it, it was a real treat. Like, it was something you could do over and over again. But, you know, there's an initial aspect in our children that love to tell us what they're doing. And then they become like teenagers, right? And then they, then they not only do not want to tell you very much, but then they want to hide a certain amount of stuff from you as well, right? So it goes the other direction. But there is this natural instinct to want to be able to share, to communicate. That's, that's part of why Jesus prayed. He, he just loved telling the Father about what was going on, what was in his heart. He loved hearing from God in prayer and hearing God's heart. He just liked to talk to him. It was like the first day of school for Jesus, and he just climbed off the bus, and over milk and cookies, he's just pouring out to God what's happening in his day. He's passionate about praying to God. And I got to tell you, you and I, when we think about this issue of prayer, I think we often overlook the fact that passion and practice are, are intimately connected. I think sometimes we, we try to focus on the practice of prayer and we really leave out the passion that should drive us to pray. 
Is, is, is that make any sense? You know, and, and you know, um, if you go home today and you Google any leadership kind of guru, you, you're, you're going to see that they talk about the role of passion in success. You know, if, 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 if what you're doing and trying to make a difference isn't rooted in your passion, if your practice isn't rooting in your, rooted in your passion, you're never going to really be successful. Because passion and practice are connected. And, and I want to tell you that you and I are never really going to become the people of prayer that we're supposed to be until we capture a passion for prayer. We, we, we need to be people who, like Jesus, really want to pray. And I think sometimes as, 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 as believers, especially as, as people who are in a church like Hope Chapel, which kind of fits in this big umbrella bucket of conservative evangelical, we, we sometimes we, we kind, of, kind of remove the sense of zeal or passion or you know, the excitement, or whatever, and we just... We, we, we just like, you know, we just need to study the Bible and know more, right? And so we get into this idea that's really about, about what you know, and we, we kind of leave out the idea of just being passionate, having a desire, being excited about, being connected with. It's not about being emotional, but it's being, but having a sense of something that really draws us and calls us. And I got to tell you, Jesus never condemned spiritual desire. In fact, I think all he ever tried to do was redirect it in the right direction. It was an experience in, in, um, in, the, in the life of Jesus where he was, um, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And he had been teaching the disciples for the very last time. He was on his way to die on the cross. And in the journey, he's teaching his disciples about what's going to come, be coming up and that kind of thing. And he's telling them that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. And he's going to be tried. He's going to be beaten and crucified and then resurrected. And, and it, all of it's just going right over their heads. But the one thing they know is that the moment has arrived. And, and, and so they're walking on the road. Jesus is out in front. And they're lagging around behind. And, the, and, the, and, and, and they realize that this is the moment in the race that they need to elbow their way to the front if they're going to be a real leader in what happens next. So they're having this big discussion among them. Well, who's the most important among us? Who's the greatest among us? You know, I, I do that. I, do, I handle the money. He, he took us up here. And they're having this argument about who's the greatest among them because that's the guy who gets the front seat. Everybody else is behind them, right? And so when they get back, when they finally settle in for the night, Jesus says to them, hey, guys, what were you talking about in the road? And they kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're all too embarrassed really to talk about it. But finally, one of them said, you know what, we were talking about who's the greatest among us. And you know how Jesus reacts? He doesn't say, well, you know, that's it. All you guys are out of here because you're just pride-filled. Whatever. He, he didn't say that. What, and, and when we read in Mark chapter 11, Sorry, Mark chapter 9, he calls them all together. And he said, listen, this is what I want you to know. So sitting down, he called the 12. And he says to them, if any of you wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So let me unpack this just a little bit. First of all, when Jesus sits down, that means listen up. Right? That means listen up. 
It's kind of like when your mother used to call you by your, with, included your middle name, right? When my mom used to say, Neil Warren Davidson, that was a moment for me to pay attention, right? Because she was mad and it was time for me to listen. You know, when Jesus sits down, he's saying, guys, what I'm about ready to tell you is important. And he doesn't say, listen, none of you should want to be great. He doesn't say that. Where he says, if any of you wants to be great, make sure you pursue it in the right way. And that's to be the servant of all and to be last of all. And, and, and Jesus, in many ways, is affirming a sense of spiritual passion to be great for the kingdom. And I think you and I, we underestimate, we undervalue, we don't cultivate a sense of passion in our own journey with God to be excited. And, and there's just so many scriptures that talk about the role of passion, eagerness, desire, you know, a wanting, a longing for us. And, and I'm just going to rip through these very quickly. You know, Jesus said, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they're the ones who are going to be filled, right? He doesn't say blessed are those who could take it or leave it. Those are the ones who are going to be filled, you know, because they're always satisfied. They don't care what they get. No, those who hunger, right, or at this craving, they're thirsting, they, you know, they, they, for righteousness. Those who want more, those are the ones who are going to be filled, right? You know, he says, it's those who seek and keep on seeking and seek some more and seek some more. Those are the ones who are going to find. It's the ones who ask and ask again. And keep on asking, those are the ones who are going to receive. It's the ones who knock, keep on knocking, kick on the door a little bit. It's to them that the door is going to be open. There's passion in it. There's desire in it. There's, there's a thriving for it that goes with it. And it's something that you and I need to embrace in our own journey. Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6, again in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know, we need to seek first. Not just seek sometime, but seek first the kingdom of God. There needs to be this passion, this priority. And I got to tell you, there's way too often that I am just unemotional, impassionate, just kind of laissez-faire about not only my connection with God and about my prayer life, but in just our overall spiritual journey. We just kind of take it. And it needs to be something that we are passionate about. And we should be cheering, you know, in the most cheering as loud as we will for today's Patriots game. Right? And, and, and that kind of, you know, we need to be engaged. You know, those, and, and, and so passion plays a huge part in our spiritual journey. Just, just one last passage of Scripture. You know, and this is a, a well-known passage from Psalm 42, verse 1. You know, it, it, it's something we sing a song about. You know, we have a chorus that says, As the deer longs for streams of water. And the imagery there is of a deer that's in the wilderness. There's not a huge supply of water. And it's working every way that it can to find a place where it can satisfy its thirst. As a deer longs for streams of water, so our soul longs after God. There's a passion in there, a desire, a, a, a drive to connect. And, and I got to tell you, you and I, if we're really going to be people who talk to God like Jesus, we have to be passionate about talking to God. We, we, it's, it's not about just 
creating the right structure so we have all the requests and this and that. And we'll make sure we get a few praises in there, you know, and a few thank yous. And, you know, it, it's about, you know, we just, we, we got to be like the little kids getting off the school bus who just can't wait to tell our spiritual father about what's going on in our lives. Because it's our passion. So, Here's a question I'm confirming. As I told you, I, I, I'm a fellow pilgrim with you in figuring out how to pray and talk to God like Jesus. And I, and I said, well, all right, how do you cultivate that passion? I mean, if it's something we need to be doing, certainly God has given us the ability, the pathway to do it. How, how is it that you and I can actually interact with some things, engage in some things that actually cultivate in us a passion to pray. And I, and I want to suggest three things to you today, very quickly. First of all, you know, and, and, and here's where, I think when you and I prioritize in our own lives the things that can only happen when we pray, that our passion to be people of prayer will grow. Let me say that over again, right? When you and I prioritize in our own lives we value, we make it important, we build our lives around the things that are only going to happen if we pray, then we're actually going to be driven. We're going to become more passionate about prayer. Let me give you three examples real quickly from the Scriptures. And there was an experience in the life of Jesus and, and, and let me make sure, we, from Mark chapter 9, but it's not the only case where you see this in the Gospels. It occurs also over in Matthew. When, when you look at this experience, Jesus had just gone through the transfiguration. So for those of you who are not familiar with that, there was a moment later in Jesus' journey before the final week of his life where God led him up on the top of a mountain and he took three disciples with him. He took Peter and then he took the brothers James and John and they went to the top of a mountain and there, Jesus was transfigured before them. It's one of those moments where the, where the deity, the God who was a part of the incarnate word, being the man Jesus, the, the, the divine element who he was shown from the inside out. So literally, not only his clothes, but also his, his, literally his skin began to glow with a sense of whiteness, a sense of light, right? And, and so he's transfigured before them. And he has a meeting with Elijah and Moses is a part of this. And Peter's there, and you know, you, you get the sense that Peter's just kind of exuberant and excited and, excited and nervous and intimidated. And he says, you know what, Jesus, it's great that we're here. You know what? We'll build some tabernacles that we can all hang out in, right? We'll, we'll put up some tents, you know? And, and God interrupts at that moment, and it says, you know, Peter, this is my beloved son. Just listen to him. Just listen to him. And so it's one of these real spiritual high moments, right, for Jesus. And he's coming down the mountain with Peter and James and John. He says, you know, there's going to be a time and a place for this story to be told, but it's not until after everything is done. So don't tell anybody until after I've been resurrected and ascended. Just keep it under your hat. And they get to the bottom of the mountain, and there's chaos going on. There's nine disciples who have been left behind, and there's a father who, in an act of desperation has brought his son, who's demon-possessed, to Jesus to be healed. 
And well, obviously Jesus isn't there. He's up on the hill and being transfigured. So he gives them to the nine. And these, the nine, they've been out before. Jesus had sent them out two by twos, a group, you know, the 70, whatever. And they've seen miracles happen, that kind of stuff. So they're, they're like, you know, hey, we can handle this. <laughs> well, we can handle this. And so, and this young man, and, and so they try to cast out the demon. And zilch, zero, nothing, right? Jesus gets down to the bottom of the mountain, sees the cave, says, what's going on? The father says, I brought my son, and you know, he has this demon, and he gets these seizures, and he, he's, sometimes he's like thrown into the fire, and he's even come close to drowning, and he foams at the mouth, and this and that, and it's just, you know, and, and I brought him here, and, and your disciples weren't able to, to help him. And Jesus gets a little frustrated, and then he drives the demon out. And a little later, when they're in the house together, right, the disciples say to Jesus, like, all right, listen, you know, when we were out on, on, the, you know, the, on, the, on the mission, you know, two by twos, et we, we did miracles. Uh, how, come we couldn't, how come we couldn't drive this demon out? And this is what Jesus exactly says to them. So they go into the house, and his disciples asked him privately, well, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can only come out by prayer. So here's my point to us today. You and I need to allow ourselves to be burdened by the needs of people that can only be met as a result of prayer. Let that sink in for a minute. You you and I need to allow ourselves to embrace the needs of people the kinds of needs that are only going to be met if God shows up and makes a difference. And we need to let those things keep us awake at night and drive us to prayer. And as you and I are longing for those things, we are burdened by those things, it is going to drive us to be people who pray. Because those kinds of things are only going to happen as we pray. You know, and, and, and we live in a culture where... where I, you know, we, we, it's almost as a pr- protective mode. We've become insulated from the needs that are around us, right? I mean, the news is just full of really bad stuff. I, in fact, one of the news feeds I get on my phone is they have a tab for, the good, for good news, right? So they got like 18 tabs across the talk, you know, U.S., world, you know, this, that, whatever. And then they have one tab for good news, Right? Because it's, it's almost like we, we know that everything else is bad, right? So, so we want to have this one tab that you can click on and you can get something that might make you feel a little bit better. When you and I process that, what we want to do is we just want to get insulated from that. And, and, and I think that drives us away from part of our passion for prayer. When you think about it, there are things in your orbit of relationships, maybe it's family, maybe it's neighbors, people you work with, friends, or whatever, and, and, and there are things going on in their lives that you would love for God to show up and make a difference, and the only way that's going to happen is if God shows up and make a difference. And, and those are the things that we need to allow to burden us and to drive us to prayer. Right? Just a simple example. When was the last time and I'm speaking to myself as much as to you. When was the last time you just really kind of look at the orbit of your relationships? And, and you've asked yourself, okay, where, where is this colleague or where is this neighbor or where is this family member or extended family? Where are they going to spend eternity? And you just really let that confront you at the deepest level. 
And I got to tell you, I, 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 you know, the only way that's ever going to change is if God shows up and makes a difference. And so I think part of what drives us to be people who are passionate about prayer is that we are actually moved by the things that can only be met by prayer. Does that make any sense? Right? Because we're, we're, you know, we're looking at it and saying, this is something I really want to have happen. And, accept, and it's only going to happen if I pray. And that's going to drive us, create that passion for us. The second thing I'm going to say, and, and I'm going to move very quickly through this, is that you and I just need to allow ourselves to get amazed by Jesus. We, we, we just need to cultivate our sense of amazement of Jesus. You know, if Jesus was alive today in the 21st century, he would have the number one selling jersey out of everybody. Right? He, 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 there would be more Jesus bobbleheads on people's desks than anybody else. Right? He would be the superstar. Right? You know, and because and, he's amazing. Right? And you look at the scripture and over and over again, you just have people scratching their head and saying, who is this guy? Because he's not like anything we've ever seen before. You know, there's an experience where, you know, Jesus had been ministering all day into the evening. He finally sends a crowd away. He climbs into the boat with his disciples and they're heading to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he lays down on the back of the, uh, of the, of the boat on a cushion and he falls asleep. And then a storm kicks up. Now, the Sea of Galilee isn't huge, right? But but when the storm kicks up, it can still... I mean, these, these were, this was not a yacht, okay, folks? This is like a 20-foot rowboat that they are in. I mean, they've actually uncovered one of these in the mud at the sea of, on the Sea of Galilee, you know, and, 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 and these are not big boats. I mean, they're, they're, you know, 20 feet long. They get sides about two feet high, whatever. When the wind uh, kicks up... And the waves are going. I mean, I've been out in the middle of one of Pasaki where with a good wind, you can have three to four foot waves, right? It's one out. These guys are in the middle of it. It's dark out. They can't see anything. Water's coming over the edge. They think they're going to drown. And they wake Jesus up and they say, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. And he gets up and he looks around and he just stills the storm. And, and, and they're like, who is this guy that even the winds... And the waves obey him. And you find that kind of reaction multiple places in the gospel. And I think some, some of what draws us to be passionate about prayer is that you and I actually want to be talking to the number one superstar in the universe. And that's a guy by the name of Jesus Christ who was born in Nazareth. You know, and, 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 and so we just need to cultivate the sense of amazement. And I think sometimes what you and I need to do is we need to keep our antenna up a lot more, have our radar out for the way we see God doing miracles around us today and allow that to cultivate a sense of amazement. I got one last point for you. And so we need to allow ourselves to be burdened by the needs that can only be answered through prayer. We need to be amazed about who Jesus is, and, we, and with that, we just have this a growing desire to be connected to him. And the last thing that really stands out to me is that we have to have a life mission that can only happen if God shows up and does something. Again, let that sink in for just a moment. You know, but you and I are never going to be people of passionate, fervent, 
prayer if the operational life goals that we have don't require God to be one of the factors in it? When, when, when you think about the last three to six months of your life, is there anything that you have really longed to have happen in your life that couldn't happen unless God was in it? See, we're never going to be people who really are people of prayer unless we have life objectives, goals, desires that can only happen if God shows up and does them. And so the text that I've given you is, is from Mark chapter 11. This is, an, this is in the last week of the life of Jesus, right? They've already gone through the triumphal entry. He's already been in the city a couple of times. So one morning they're going into the city and Jesus is a little hungry and he sees a fig tree that has leaves on it and he goes up to it and there's no figs on it. And so he curses it. You know, and there's a whole issue that goes into why is it that kind of stuff and, you know, he wouldn't make the tree huggers happy and that kind of stuff. But, but he curses the, the fig tree and they come back around the next morning and P- Peter's like, Look at that. That's the fig tree you cursed yesterday, and today it's all shriveled up and dead. And this is what Jesus says to him. Jesus replied, have faith in God. I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, all things that you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them and you will have them. Now, I don't want to get off in the whole name and claim and stuff and the gospel, but there's an aspect. If you and I are not seeking things in our lives that are only going to come to pass, the impacts that we're going to have that are only going to come to pass because God shows up and answers our prayer, then we're never going to be people of passionate prayer. You know, when, when we're doing... What we can do without God, we're never going to be people who are passionate about prayer. You know, I, I thought of a couple of examples of, of things in the journey of Hope Chapel, my journey with Hope Chapel, that drove me to be a person of passionate prayer. You know, I, I shared in the first service that a little over 16 years ago, close to 17 years now, before the church started, Christina and I were approached by a small group of people who were still the remnant of a little church here in, in Sterling, that, that they, they wanted to close down that church, but they wanted another church, church to get started. And so they were asking us to consider leading this church. And, and so I got to tell you, I mean, you look at it, here was a church that believed the Bible the same way we did. They've been ministering in the town of Sterling for 30 years and never run more than 20 people. A lot of times they ran less than 10. And now those people are ready to quit. And they want somebody else to start in their place. And I got to tell you, from a very human perspective, I'm like, why do I want to be the next failure that goes on record? You know, here's, here, they've had the gospel. They've had the word of God. They've had the spirit moving. They tried to minister to people. For 30 years, they beat their head against the wall, and they never really got to any sense of critical mass. Why do I want to be the one now who signs up to be the next victim of that journey, right? And then at the same time, you've got friends around town who are telling you, really, you know, good luck. This is a two-church town. This is St. Richard's and First Church, and, and, and nothing else is ever going to take root, right? And so I'm looking at it and saying, I don't care how good of sermons I preach. I'm looking at it and saying, I don't care how good the music is. 
I don't care what kind of building we, you know, there's no way this is going to happen unless God shows up. And when God asked us and convinced us that this is what he wanted us to do, it drove me to pray in a way that I had never prayed before. Because what I longed to have happen, what God longed to have happen, but what I longed to have happen wasn't going to show up just because of who I am and what I can do. It was only going to happen because God showed up. What do you have in your life right now that fits that category? See, until we have those things, we're never going to be passionate about prayer. Another example. When we, when we went to, to, to build this facility, we, we knew God was calling us to plant a permanent home in, in Sterling, and we were looking for property, whatever, and we, we finally got an agreement. But then the moment came where, where we had an opportunity, a window, we think was a God-given window, to get the building built in 2005. But when we were in one of those moments that we needed to get done in less than five months, what usually would take at least 18 months to get done. And because of the time of year we were looking to do it through the winter, made it even that harder because that's not a time when you do test pits and can check for vegetation and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we we were just asking God to do a miracle to get us through. And the only reason we went from having no plan at all on January 1st and having a slab in the ground by Memorial Day is because we prayed for God to move a mountain. And God moved the mountain. And in the, in the same, it wasn't because, I mean, we worked our tails off. You could ask Jeff and some others. Paul, we worked our tails off to get there. But I got to tell you, all of our efforts weren't going to make it happen. It took God parting the Red Sea of red tape <laughs> to get us here on Memorial Day. And it's because God showed up and it happened. And it was the same thing financially. I mean, the cost of the facility, you know, as we got into it, was it, it, what we needed to build was just, it, it became clear it was beyond our capacity. What we were looking to take on really was the, the, the challenge that fit a church that had three times our annual giving. And, and so no matter, you know, and we just really committed our hearts to pray for God to provide. And so, you know, we, 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 had, a, we had a guy who, who had been through this who coached us in, in a way to try to challenge our people to get along and providing a special offering for the building and et cetera. And and, and he told us that our top goal shouldn't be anywhere over just a little over 300000 maybe 350000 And we were convinced by the time we got around to actually receiving the commitments from people so that we could secure the loan that we needed more than twice that. And I got to tell you, I don't, I, you know, no matter how eloquent I could get and, you know, and, it, and no matter how much guilt I could inflict upon you, you know, there is no way, right, that that, but God showed up. And, and I, and I want to tell you, you and I are not going to be people who are passionate about prayer if we're looking to do the things in life that we can do by our own strength. It's only when we build our lives around the things that take the clear, undeniable activity and the power of God and we don't let those things ever get off of our radar, they will draw us to be people of prayer. Because when we ask, Jesus says we're going to have. And if we really want them, we're going to be asking for We're going to be people of prayer. And so in the midst of all of this, I mean, we're gonna, we get a couple more messages coming up in the series. But I tell you, the, the biggest thing that I'm asking, I think God's asking us to do today, is just to be people who are open to becoming passionate about prayer.
all the practice and all that kind of stuff, it'll flow. If, if we really want it, we'll learn it. But we have to be people who want it. So how passionate are you about prayer? And what does your practice of prayer say about your passion for prayer? And, and here, here's, here, here, here's, I think, what we should adopt. The Apostle Paul made a statement in Philippians chapter 3 that I think is just a great challenge for us to take away with today. He said, you know, he said, this is my goal, right? This is my passion. His passion is simply to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. My challenge to you today, my challenge to myself today, is to be passionate about prayer because of my goal, my desire, the longing, the hunger of my soul is to know Christ and to know the power that comes from him. Let's pray together. Father, I sense today in my own spirit, and I'm sure that's true of these that are gathered here today, that the truth that you've been showing us so clearly today, a lot of it just feels like, and this is one of my favorite phrases, God, is it feels like drinking from a fire hose. It's coming at us so fast, it's hard to absorb it all. And when our minds start running about praying for the things in other people's lives that are going to take your direct miraculous activity of, of, of just of, of seeking to be a world changer in a way that can only be explained by the things that you're doing. It gets our minds going to so many different places. Our hearts going in so many different places. Father, I just really pray today that you channel that in our lives so that we really do become passionate about prayer. God, thank you that you are a God who loves us. You hear us. You're eager to communicate with us. You're still talking to us and that you're eager to do marvelous and incredible, miraculous things through us. And we simply invite you today to make us a people who are passionate about prayer as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.